Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Crossroad. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to find ourselves from time to time in life at a decision point in our life. As a matter of fact, we're, we're at a decision that's going to ter- determine our destiny in life. Those are called crossroad decisions. I can go right or left, but it's going to have a major impact on my immediate life, on the years to come. And get this, sometimes for all of eternity. Now, I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. There are times in this earthly life where the decision you make will affect you for eternity. Eternity. When you're staring those decisions in the face, you can't go wrong on those decisions. And we look at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry on the road to the cross. We see people who were making those crossroad-type decisions. And so we've looked at Peter, we've looked at Judas, and today we're going to look at a guy named Pilate in the Bible who made a decision that affected his eternity. And so I want to preach this subject today, don't go with the flow. Now, how many of you are football fans? Let me see your hand. Uh, even includes Tennessee people, right? You got it, all right. So if you're a football fan at all, every now and then you get mad at that guy right there, right? Every now and then you get mad at the refs. And, and we like to think that refs are unbiased and they're not swayed by, by the crowd. And, and so we know sometimes that may not be true, but we couldn't ever really prove it. Well, a guy named Michael Lopez at Skidmore University decided to try to test the theory, are NFL refs swayed by the crowd? And more specifically, are they swayed by the sideline? And so what the team of researchers did at Skidmore College was they, they looked at in every NFL game for five years and every penalty that was called in every game, they specifically looked at late hit out of bounds penalties. Now late hit out of bounds is when you, when you hit a player when he's already uh, ran out of bounds. You're not allowed to do that. It's called a late hit. And oftentimes it happens at full speed. In slow-mo, you can see it. But at full speed, it's hard to see. And uh, uh, so when you see it at full speed, it's what we call a bang-bang play. It's hard to tell. Was he out of bounds or was he not out of bounds? So they analyzed, get this, every late hit out of bounds penalty in the NFL for five years, there were 1,400 of them. And they wanted to determine, was the ref swayed by the sidelines. And here is what they discovered. I want to I read it to you. Lopez measured how often these kind of judgment calls go in favor of the team whose coaches are on the sideline closest to where the penalty is taking place. He found referees are much more likely to make calls that comply with the people nearest to them. So whatever coach he's closest to is typically who gets the call. In short, Lopez determined intimidation works. Pressure the refs, get in their face, and they will often cave in 
to social pressure. Everything but the NFC Championship game this year with New Orleans. Other than that, they came into <laughs> social pressure. Here's what they discovered. That refs, instead of doing what's right, wind up doing what somebody else wants to do. That they want to make everybody happy. And get this, teenagers, I know you're tired. It's been a long weekend. But when you try to please the crowd, you inevitably make the wrong decision. And look, it's not just the rest. We have this tendency in our everyday lives too, that we have this tendency to go with the flow no matter the consequences. So here's what we do. We let the crowd determine how we think. We let the crowd determine how we act. We let the crowd determine what we believe. We let the culture determine how we think. We let the culture determine how we act. We let the culture determine how we believe. We let our friends determine how we act. We let our friends determine how we believe. We let our friends determine how we think. And I just want to tell you, it, most of the time they are wrong. The crowd is rarely right. And if we aren't careful, we stand at a crossroad in life and we will often go with the flow. And the flow will carry us to ruin. Sometimes temporary, sometimes eternal. It's exactly what happened to the man in our scriptures today. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in Matthew chapter 27? And look beginning at verse number 11 with me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor asked him saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate, uh, gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should go ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of, you two, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Verse 22, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus whom is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him, Jesus, to be crucified. Thank you. You may be seated. Today's character is another what we would call infamous character on the road to the cross. Pilate was the typical old school Roman. He was kind of the antique Roman. He was of the imperial period that thought Rome should rule everywhere. And he had some of the old Rome in his soul. And it said about Pilate that though he was yet an old Roman, he loved sin. He loved pleasure. He loved corruptness. And so Pilate is a governor that has been, one of the places he has been placed in charge of is the city of Jerusalem. And 
Pilate hated the Jews. As a matter of fact, when he, he looked for reasons to shed their blood, when there was any kind of uprising whatsoever, Pilate looked for a reason to uh, kill the Jews. And so he visited Jerusalem as seldom as possible. He loved Rome. He loved the Roman bathhouses, and he loved the Roman games, and he loved the Roman amenities, and he loved everything there was about Rome. He loved the pleasure he could find in Rome, and he found Jerusalem, according to history, stuffy, religi- stuffy with religi- religiousity in Jerusalem. He's not fond of all the morals in Jerusalem, but he had this custom that when it was some of the high feast in Israel, for example, Passover, what we're looking at today, Pilate would come to Jerusalem because the Jews tempted to get boastful and prideful during these feasts and they would would oftentimes rise up and cause controversy and so Pilate would come marching into Jerusalem with an army to put down any uprising that might go on. And so Pilate with his army of men behind him walks into Jerusalem on the uh, the, uh, days that Jesus is being crucified. And all of a sudden, Pilate winds up in the care, Jesus winds up in the care of Pilate. And Pilate, who has an army, an armed army with him, chooses to obey a mob, a crowd, to go with the flow, rather than do what's right. And for Pilate, he only reigned for 10 or 11 years, but it cost him not only immediate power it cost him his life and eternity so let's look at what Pilate did wrong because I want to be honest with you look right this way there are so many of us here today that it is so easy to get trapped into doing what the crowd wants us to do to doing what the culture wants us to do to acting the way society says that we ought to act it's so easy for us can I can I just be honest it's so easy here in northwest Georgia to fall prey to the Hollywood mentality And before you know it, we're saying the things a lost culture is saying, and we're doing the things the lost culture is doing, and we're laughing at the things the lost culture is laughing at, and we're making decisions the way a lost culture does. Well, what did Pilate do wrong? There are three things Pilate did wrong, and I want to show them to you today because they'll help us. Number one, I want to show you this. He he heard the warnings, but he didn't heed the warnings. He heard the warnings, but he didn't heed the warnings. Look in verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Now, we don't know a lot about Pilate's wife. Uh, Some people say that Pilate's wife was a secret believer. We know some prominent women in the area had become uh, believers in Jesus. And so some surmise that Pilate's wife may have been one of those secret believers and she believed in Jesus. But we have no evidence of that. Others say she is just a vehicle that God used to deliver a warning to her husband. But here's the story. Pilate is sitting at the Bema seat, the judgment seat, and there they are having a mock trial. It's in the middle of the night. It's early morning. It's all wrong. And so Pilate's there, and he's hearing these accusations about Jesus, and he's hearing the crowds cry, crucify him, crucify him. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to Pilate, and they hand him a, a piece of paper or some, something with an inscription written on it, and his wife has delivered him a message. Now, his wife was not allowed, in all probability, to hand deliver the message. She was not allowed at the judgment seat. 
But she had delivered, she had that message delivered to Pilate, and it said this have nothing to do with this man. She said, I've been up all night having nightmares. I have been in torment. I have suffered. It, it, that word suffered that's used there in the Bible means to undergo an intense affliction. Listen, Pilate's wife has had dreams that she can reach out and touch. A dream like she's really there. She sent a message to Pilate and she said, I have suffered all night long because of this man. This is a just man. This is a righteous man. You walk away from this. You have nothing to do with this. You don't get your hands dirty with this. You let the Jews do what they want to do, but you get away from it. Don't judge this man. And she sent him a terrified script. and said, I'm warning you. Stay away from this righteous man. I'm warning you. Stay away from this innocent man. And God, through a vision to Pilate's wife, has supernaturally warned him not to get involved with the trial of Jesus. And so here's Pilate. He's got a crowd in front of him urging him to do wrong. He's got God in his ear urging him not to do wrong. And so what's going on is Pilate has heard the warnings from God, but he's got the crowd saying this. He's heard God saying don't do it, but he's got the crowd say doing it. God has strategically placed a warning in Pilate's life to jolt him into making a good decision. Pilate heard the warning, but he didn't heed the warning. Can I tell you something, church? Before we come down too hard on Pilate, I'm afraid we are like that oftentimes that we have gotten a word from the Lord. That we, on the cusp of making a decision, on the cusp of doing wrong, on the cusp of something in our lives that's going to impact all of our lives or all of our eternity, that God has supernaturally put a warning in our path. And here's what's happened. Listen, that warning may be in form of a sermon, a friend, a Bible verse. I'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what happens. That warning comes in our path and too oftentimes we do what Pilate did. We hear the warning, but we don't heed the warning. It was 1912. Most of you, if I even ask you what happened in 1912, you know it was the year that the Titanic sank to the bottom of the ocean. You know the story of the Titanic. What you didn't know, maybe, and I didn't know this story until this week, and I looked it out, that the Titanic had one of the most sophisticated communication devices known to man in 1912. It was a wireless telegraph. Now, you've probably never used a wireless tele telegraph or a wired telegraph, but you get the idea. It was one button that came through basically in Morse code, I guess, and, and it tapped out one letter at a time, but it was wireless. We had them all across America, but they were strung with wires, and the, we had for the first time used this technology that was wireless, and it was on the Titanic and on her sister ship, but the Titanic had this radio room. This is a picture of it right here. All of this radio equipment is used so that the Titanic can receive and send messages wirelessly. Now, get this. Imagine being on a cruise ship and every passenger on the cruise ship had to share one mobile phone. Well, that's exactly what this was. 
This was the telegraph that was used to send uh, distress calls. This was the telegraph that was used to get messages to the captain and the captain to the land. And it's also the telegraph they gave out the number to all the passengers. So it was also the the method that all the passengers sent and received messages. And there were two full-time radio operators, and they operated in two 12-hour shifts. And the captain radio officer was by the a guy by the name of Jack Phillips, who was nicknamed Sparks because he was so fast on the telegraph. In four and a half days, the Titanic received 250 personal messages. And that may not sound like a lot to you, but let me explain to you how it went. And 10 minutes later, you had a message. He transcribed the message, which took a little bit. He wrote it on a piece of paper, and then he had to go find that person on the ship and hand it to them. They could have been far down below. They could have been up top. They could have been at a diner. They could have been dancing. They could have been anywhere. And he ran around the ship. There's one message. And then you'd go back, da 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 and there was two messages. That went on for four and a half days, 250 messages. They were working around the clock, nonstop, delivering the messages back and forth. Uh, there was a place in Newfoundland called Cape Race, and Cape Race was where they uh, first received the messages, and then Cape Race relayed them to the Titanic. But on the night the Titanic sank, there was one particular message they received at 9.38 p.m. from the SS Masaba to the Titanic. Here's what it said, and I quote. In latitude 42 degrees north to 41.25 degrees north, longitude 49 degrees west to 50.3 degrees west, saw much heavy pack ice, And great number of large icebergs, also ice field. That was at 9.35 p.m. Immediately after it was sent, Jack Phillips responded, message received, thanks. At 9.38 p.m., the Masaba sent back another message, and it said, stand by. Now, if you don't know radio technology, stand by meant the, the message about the ice that they had delivered was required to be sent to the bridge. They had to send that message to the bridge so that the captain was aware of impending disaster with ice. He never responded. At 11 o'clock, the RS, RMS California, who was less than an hour away from the Titanic, sent this message to the Titanic. Say, oh man, we are stopped and surrounded by trying to get him to respond to the ice text that they had heard the other ship send to the Titanic. And Sparks sent this reply at 11.10 p.m. to the RMS California. And I quote, keep out, exclamation point, shut up, shut up, exclamation point, I'm busy. He was busy delivering messages from relatives to passengers. Keep out. Shut up. Shut up. I'm busy. The RMS California was less than an hour away from the Titanic, but the radio operator got a, said, you know what? Fine. He turned his radio off. The California 
they were trying to get a hold of the California when the Titanic struck an iceberg, but they couldn't reach him because he had turned the radio off because the guy on the Titanic had said, shut up. And so he did. He shut up, turned his radio off, and get this, less than an hour after he told him to shut up, the Titanic struck an iceberg and over 1,500 people died. The message never made it to the bridge. There's a story, the president of the company who built the Titanic was on board. As a matter of fact, he survived. He got in a life a raft with a bunch of women and survived the, uh, the uh, sinking. And there are survivors who said that the message was delivered to that man. And here's what he did. He heard the warning and ordered the steam room full steam ahead we're running behind full steam ahead we're running behind they heard the warning but there's a difference between hearing the warning and heeding the warning and look right this way for just a second you have come to a crossroads in life and you get a warning from God. You say, preacher, what does a warning from God look like? Look, it may, it may be a Bible verse that you stumble across in your Bible. It may be godly counsel from godly people you know. It may be godly counsel from a parent. It may be godly counsel from a friend. Hey, listen, can I tell you this? It may be a sermon. It may be this sermon in your life. It may be the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart. And the Holy Spirit is warning you about this decision. But here's what we often do. We hear the warning, but we plow through anyway. We heard the warning, but we didn't heed the warning. And every one of us are going to stand in a crossroad in life one day. And you're going to hear the warning of God. And God is going to say, don't say that. God is going to say, don't go there. God is going to say, don't do that. God is going to say, don't be that. God is going to say, don't look at that. God is going to say, don't get into that relationship. God is going to say, don't miss that opportunity to be saved. God's going to say, don't get involved. You've heard it. But you didn't heed it. Listen to me carefully, church. When God sends a warning, it is so imperative that you pay attention to the warning. God, you say, well, preacher, how do I know it's not a coincidence? It never is. God's sending a warning. Don't just hear the warning. Heed the warning. Let me show you the second thing Pilate did wrong. Number two, go with God and not the mob. Now, when I say mob, I don't mean New York City mob, though you shouldn't do that either, right? Like, don't, don't go with the mob. By the mob, I mean the crowd. Look in Matthew 27, verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, here's the thing. The same crowd that had been following and loving on Jesus earlier has now been stirred up by the bad guys and they're crying for the head of Jesus. They're crying for him to be crucified. And Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent of all the charges, but he wants to keep peace, so he does what the crowd wants him to do. He goes with the flow, and here's what he does. He lets the mob take over his mind. He lets the mob control what he does. And so get this, I'm not gonna spend a long time here, but look this way. When you turn your mind over to the mob, you are headed for trouble. 
When you're doing what the crowd says simply because they say do it, you are headed for trouble. When you're letting the culture and the crowd and the mob determine how you think and how you act, when you are not questioning where you're being led, can I tell you something? Just because the crowd is going that direction doesn't make it right. Can I get an amen? How many of you have ever been Black Friday shopping? Let me see your hand. You ever been Black Friday shopping? This is just a video. There's nothing special about the video. I just pulled one off uh, to show Black Friday shopping. It's a little different now. There's a little more technology involved now, and the stores are open longer. But back in the day, you remember you used to go Black Friday shopping? My wife and I would do it. You would line up, let's just say outside of Walmart, and doors open at midnight, or you'd line up outside a department store, and doors open at midnight, and you'd get there two hours before, and you'd stand in line, and all of a sudden, if it was a good store, there'd be hundreds of people, and sometimes over a thousand people, all lined up outside two doors. And it looks like this. I mean, just people after people after people, and you you sometimes had a list. Sometimes you're just going in to see what the deals are because some they advertise, some they don't. And you remember what happened when, when they opened the door like for the first time? You remember the doors would swing open at midnight and you kind of had an idea. My, my wife and I, we're going this direction. So we're going to grab a buggy or not get a buggy and we're going to go to the right because we think what we want is out to the right. You remember doing that? And so you'd walk in the door. A thousand people would go in the door at the same time and you'd go right but you notice the other 998 people just went left. So you'd doubt yourself. You know the story? So you'd be like, well, I don't know what's over here, but I, I got to go get this. And all of a sudden, there were a 1,000 people following one guy to the back of the store. And you know what he always did? Went to the bathroom. <laughs> you're like, what's in here? And the guy's like, a urinal, excuse me. And you're like, oh. And what happened was, one guy went, the next 20 followed, next thing you know, everybody's thinking, if I don't go that way, I'm going to miss out. But the crowd is rarely right. And it's just like Black Friday shopping. At least, can I tell you, if you don't put any thought in it and you go with the flow of this world, if you let the world determine how you think about your morality... If you let the world determine how you think about your marriage, if you let the world determine how you think about your family and your finances and your holiness and religion, can I tell you this? You are headed for years of misery. If you let the culture determine your morality, if you let the culture determine your marriage, if you let the culture determine your family and your finances and your holiness and your religion, listen, if you listen to the culture about religion, you are going to spend eternity in hell. Don't let the crowds make your decision. Go with God, not the mob. Because when you stand at a crossroads in your life, what you need to do is dig into your Bible and find out what God says. You need to surround yourself with a multitude of godly counselors and do what God says. You need to get on your knees and pray and do what God says. Go with the God, not the mob. The mob will always lead you wrong. But get this, God will never lead you wrong. So the third thing that applied to Pilate, he knew what was right, but he did what was wrong. Look at verse 26. He released Barabbas to them. When he had scourged or whipped Jesus, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. 
So Pilate's been warned about his pending decision. He's fallen prey to the mob, and he knows Jesus is innocent. We know he knows that. Because look at verse 23. Then the governor said, why? Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? Pilate has been interviewing Jesus over and over again, and Pilate cannot find out anything wrong Jesus has done. Then verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. When you read about Pilate, I, this week I read everything about Pilate in all the Gospels. Pilate kept crying over and over again, he is innocent. He's done no wrong. There's no reason for him to be on trial. There's no reason for him to be up for uh, capital punishment, death. There's no reason he should be crucified. Jesus is innocent. Pilate says it over and over and over and over and over and over again. His wife has declared him innocent. As a matter of fact, Pilate even states he knows the reason, the only reason the Jews want Jesus killed is because they are jealous of his popularity. He knows the right thing to do is to let Jesus go and keep Barabbas in jail. Now, some of you are wondering, why, why is he releasing a prisoner? Pilate was so unpopular with the Jews. He had started this custom every year at the Passover that he would release a prisoner to the Jews. Now, what he typically did was release a prisoner who was responsible for a riot or trying to overthrow the Roman government. He's usually a good moral person, but they had tried to overthrow Rome. And, and so uh, they were being a, a good Jewish citizen. And so Pilate would release somebody like that to them to try to make them happy. This year, he puts a robber and a thief up in front of a, a scoundrel. And he said, do you want a scoundrel or do you want Jesus? Normally, they would never have let him release a scoundrel. But this year they cried, release Barabbas, Barabbas. And Pilate knew the right thing to do was release Jesus. But in the moment he followed the crowd and he did the wrong thing. And so look this way. How many times in our life have we known the right thing to do, but we did the wrong thing anyway? You cannot expect to be a successful person, Christian, man, or woman when you know what's right and you do what's wrong. How many of you have heard this week about the Florida man phenomenon going on? Any of you seen the Florida man thing? So if you don't know, it's, it's hard to do it now because the news has gotten a hold of it and uh, it's become a thing, but... Here's what you do. Florida is apparently really messed up. Now, I use this illustration at 11 o'clock at 8.30, and we had some first-time guests come back to me at the guest reception. I said, oh, do y'all live around here? And he said, no, Florida. <laughs> so I made Daniel give him some cash while we were back there at the guest reception. So uh, if you're from Florida, I'm sorry, but this doesn't work in any other state. This works in Florida. And so the thing is, you go to Google, and don't do it now, don't take your phones out now, but you go to Google and you type in Florida man and your birthday. So mine's April 27th, you type in Florida man, April 27th, and you look at the first headline that pops up, and what you're going to discover is there are an enormous amount of crazy people in Florida. No matter when your birthday is, something crazy is going to pull up. And so instead of randomly doing it on the stage, I thought, I'm going to find the craziest Florida man headlines for 2019. So I thought I'd share a few with them with you. Here they are. January 2nd, Florida, this is the headline. 
Florida man doesn't get straw attacks McDonald's employee. Because that's what you do when you don't get a straw, right? You attack somebody. January 14th. Florida man threatens to kill man with kindness. Uses machete named kindness. (laughs) Makes total sense. January 16th. Florida man who drove Ferrari into water said Jesus told him to. The only reason I put this up here is I want you to know there are some religious people in Florida, obviously. (laughs) This guy talks to Jesus. January 21st, man, woman, Florida man, woman, run over by patrol car while lying in road to watch Eclipse. It's never smart to lie in the road. January 26th. Florida man finds a World War II grenade, places it in his truck, and does what we all would do, drives to Taco Bell. (laughs) But that led to January 27th. World War II story was so good that it dominated headlines for a second day. This rare distinction is called the Florida Spark, in case you're wondering. If Florida man dominates for two days, January 28th. Florida man learns hard way that he stole laxatives, not opioids. Can I just let that one simmer for a moment? If you're not laughing, ask the person next to you to explain it, all right? Because that's pretty funny. I don't care who you are right there. Finds out the hard way. I'm dying to know what the hard way was. I I didn't click on it. February 14th. This is just bizarre. There's actually a photo of it. You can actually watch the video of it if you want to. Florida man caught on camera licking door. I don't understand that. But it made the paper. Finally, last one, February 28th. Florida man who allegedly threatened family with cold play lyrics. I, I mean, I admit they're not great lyrics, but come on. Uh, ends standoff after SWAT promises him pizza. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. Say, so why'd you show me those? Because that was pretty funny. But here's why I showed you those. Every one of those people knew what was right. And they did what was wrong. Every one. We make fun of Florida man all we want. But listen, they knew what was right. And they did what was wrong. And here's what I want to challenge you to do today. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Don't know what's right and do what's wrong. Know what's right and do what's right. Don't know what's right and do what's wrong. Know what's right and do what's right. Like we know it's right to pray, let's pray. We know it's right to read our Bible, let's read our Bible. We know it's right to invite people to church, to tithe, to live holy. So let's get some moral standards about us. Let's know what's right and do what's right. Too many times we've been at a crossroad in life. Get this, look this way, look at me. So many times you are at a crossroad in life. And we know left is right and right is wrong, or right is wrong, left, whatever. We know what's what we know what's right. And we're standing at a crossroad in life. And God has warned us, and we've heard it. 
We've got a crowd pulling us one direction that's wrong, and we've got the Spirit of God telling us to do what's right. And too many times, we have a word out of this book. You don't even need godly counsel. God's got your word right here in this Bible. And we know what's right. And too many times, we do what's wrong. We know what's right. We do what's wrong. Pilate knew what was right. And he bowed to the pressure of the crowd and the culture anyway. And he did what was wrong. Listen to me, you, you may be here today and you're a Christian. And you are at a crossroad in your life. It is decision time in your life. You're standing, sitting where you are today, and it is decision time. I mean, you've got to decide about a relationship that you should or should not be in. You've got to decide about something you're tempted to do or not to do. I mean, I'm not going to go down the list, but there's so many things. You are standing at a crossroad in life. Listen to me carefully. Listen, look this way. You need a word from God. Today's your warning. Seek God. You may be here today and you're not saved. Can I tell you this, that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're not careful, you're going to follow the world to hell. Because the world will tell you this, the world will say, well, all roads lead to heaven. All religions go to heaven. Every highway to heaven is good. Just pick one and be a good person. And listen, you will wind up in hell. And I want to be honest with you, where you spend eternity is 100% your call. It's your decision. I can't force you. I'm not, I'm not even going to threaten you. Man, it's your call totally. But the consequences are yours too. And God says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And the world says, I anyway will do. Just be a good person, kind to your fellow man, and do your best. Explore your spiritual side, and you'll be fine. No, no, you won't. It's what the culture says, but it's wrong. And today, you need to be saved. Today, God's sending a warning to you that you need to be saved. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me. Let's stand together and let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.